For some people, Thanksgiving is about food. For some people, it's about family. For some people, it's about football. Uh, For me, Thanksgiving is about naps. I mean, I like the rest of the stuff, most of the rest of the stuff also, but Thanksgiving is about naps. And the last couple of years, as our family's gotten a little more spread out, it's gotten harder and harder for us to all get together. And last year, we ended up down in Effingham at Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving Day, having the Thanksgiving meal there. If you get to Cracker Barrel this week, if you're there, get the Thanksgiving dinner. It is really good. It's, it's almost as good as mom's. Uh, but we got back, because of our schedule, we, we had to go eat at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And so we got back home, and it was just a little bit afternoon, and I thought, well, what, what am I going to do? And Trish had parked herself in front of the TV watching football, and I thought, well, I'll go take a nap. And so I laid down on Thanksgiving and took a nap, maybe about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. When, when I woke up, it was dark outside. <laughs> And I'm not so sure it wasn't a whole new day. You know, it might have been a whole new day by the time I woke up. And I really needed that nap. Naps are important. I think naps are very important. I think we need naps from time to time. They can be refreshing. The rest is important. It gives us new perspective. It gives us fresh eyes. And sometimes a nap allows you to see things a little clearer. Maybe even we maybe we even need that with a holiday like. Thanksgiving. Maybe we need to see Thanksgiving with fresh eyes. You know, one year the kids are a little more spread out and it's harder to get together. And maybe the next year someone who's always been there is gone. It's the first Thanksgiving without a, without a relative, maybe without a parent. Uh, if we're not careful, Thanksgiving can get stale because we just remember the old Thanksgiving. We're not careful. Thanksgiving can get stale. It can lose its flavor. It can become meaningless. And we'll start to wonder if we have anything left to be thankful for. Well, we started out our series this month on Thanksgiving, a tankful of thankful. We started out in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 12, uh, in a time in Israel's history when they were anything but thankful. And yet God called them to be thankful. We then we, we went to Jonah chapter 2, where from the belly of the great fish, Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving. Last week, we went to the Gospel of Luke and we read a story about Jesus going to, to, to ten lepers, healing them, and one of them comes back and says, Thank you. And so today, uh, we're going to finish up with the last use of the word thankful. In the entire Bible, the last use of the word thanksgiving, it occurs in the book of Revelation. It occurs in chapter 11. If you ask the average person what the book of Revelation is about, they will likely say, well, it's about the end of the world. And you know, that is partially right. The way that John has written the book of Revelation, he uses a literary device. It's not linear. It doesn't start and then make its way to an ending. John uses a literary device called recapitulation. That's your big word for the day. Recapitulation, where he tells the same story over and over again. And every time he comes to the end of the story, it gets more intense. And we see it from a different angle. He intensifies it and it reaches a greater climax each time he tells the story. Yes, Revelation is about the end of the world, but as you read through Revelation, the end of the world comes five times through that book. And when we read it in Revelation chapter 11, it includes thanksgiving. Revelation is is not just about when the world ends. 
Revelation is about when your world ends. Revelation is about that day when everything you've built comes crumbling down. Revelation can be about that day when the doctor comes to you and says there's nothing else that we can do. That day when a spouse comes and says they're leaving or a call comes with some very bad news. What do you do then? What do you hold on to in that moment? How do you give thanks when your world is falling apart? We're going to read from Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. We begin in verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to You. O Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but Your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding Your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear Your name, both small and great, for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Verse 15 begins with the final trumpet being blown. Uh, The final trumpet is blown. The world has come to an end. And the very first thing that happens is 24 elders in God's throne room fall down on their face and they say, Thank God that is over. That's the perspective from the throne room of God. But but what about us? What about here? When your world falls apart, how do you give thanks? What do you hold on to? I think there are three promises for us in this section of Revelation chapter 11. Three promises to hold on to when our world's falling apart. Three promises that make thanksgiving possible. The first promise is one you hear in those loud voices in heaven. It's the promise that the world belongs to God. You know, the word revelation means uncovering, right? To reveal something. That's what revelation is. It, it uncovers, it reveals that which has been hidden. That which has been hidden is now made known. We approach the book, very often we approach it as though it's something mysterious and strange and, and hard to understand. And, and at times it is. But what we're supposed to see is there's something new in Revelation. Something we've never seen before. Something that is uncovered. Something that makes the life that we live and the struggles that we go through clearer. One of my professors in college used to say the message of Revelation is easy. God's in control. So when you reach the end of your rope, you tie a knot in it and you hold on. The very first thing that's declared by the loud voices in verse 15, the very first thing that is declared is that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. In those days, trumpets were blown to announce the reign of a new king. And that's exactly what's happening here. The news is the world belongs to God. The world belongs to Jesus through His triumph over the cross. There is no division between heaven and earth. It all belongs to Him. It is all under His control. Every now and then we, we sing. We used to sing and we still sing it. This is my Father's world. 
Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. That's the lesson here. This is my Father's world. Can we trust Him to reign over it? Can we trust Him to reign over it? Can we trust Him to reign over all of it? Can we trust Him to reign over my little corner of, of this world? You know, one of the reasons why we worry is because we don't trust God, that God is present. We worry because we don't trust God is present and we don't trust that He's really reigning. And that's understandable. In the middle of our pain, in the middle of our panic, in the middle of our fear of, of what's happened and, and what might happen next, we, we worry. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Do you hear that? Thank Him for all that He's done. Thanksgiving, giving thanks is part of the antidote to worry along with prayer. Trust your worries to Him. Thank Him for the way that He took care of yesterday's worries. You remember in the, in the Gospels, Peter. You remember Peter walking on the water, right? The story about Peter walking on the water. The disciples are in a boat. There's a storm raging around them. And they look and they see Jesus walking on the water. And as they see Jesus walking, Peter says, I want to do that. And he steps out of the boat. He takes Jesus' hand. He steps out of the boat. And he starts to do that. Don't forget, Peter actually did do it. He actually did step out of the boat. He started walking on the water. But the trouble hit when he took his eyes off Jesus, when he started to put his eyes on the storm around him, when he looked at the wind and, and the waves, that's when Peter began to sink. If this is my father's world, then these are, these are my father's worries, right? If this is my father's world, then this is my father's storm, and I need to take my eyes off the wind and the waves and off of my worries, and I need to put my eyes on him. That's the first promise. This world belongs to God. If I trust Him with my world, then I can also trust Him with the second promise. And that is that God will right all wrongs. One of the reasons that, that Revelation is so hard for us to understand is we don't often hear its connection to the rest of the Bible. In this passage alone, just in these few verses, verses 15-19, through 19, there are about 40 40 allusions to other parts of the Bible. References to other verses in the Bible. There's allusions in these verses to, to the book of Exodus. There are allusions to the Psalms. There are allusions to, 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 to Ezekiel and, and to Daniel. And so we can't just pluck these verses out and, and hear them by themselves. We, we have to hear them kind of in concert with the rest of the Bible. You might have noticed that actually in verse 17. In verse 17, the elders fall down, they worship, and it says, we give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Who is and who was. What's, what's missing right there? Does anyone know? Who is and was and, and will be. Or is to come. You know, I would have accepted is to come also. Donna. Who is and was and is to come. Why isn't there an is to come? We, we, in our brains, we want there to be an is to come. We, we want it to be there. And in fact, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, it's there where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega who is and was and is to come. Why is there no is to come? Because He's already arrived. He's already here. There, there is no more is to come. He's, he's already come. 
It is finished. He reigns. And so the elders are able to declare, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And with that reign comes judgment. Verse 18 starts out, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. You notice the time for the dead to be judged. That word time, when it's used in the Bible, very often it indicates a change, maybe a new season. What it indicates is something that used to be true is no longer true. Something that we've waited for has finally come. It is now that time. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is getting ready to celebrate the Passover with His disciples. He's getting ready to celebrate the Last Supper. And He says, the time, My time is at hand. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul is writing his, probably his last letter to his friend Timothy. And Paul writes, the time of my departure has come. There's a sense in this word that the, that the old time is gone, that the things that used to happen are done and, and something new is happening. There's a sense in the word that the things that people used to get away with, they don't get away with them anymore. Things that used to happen and people used to get away with them, they, they don't get away with them. The wrongs, the hurts, the pains, that's, that's all done. And the question for us is, since Jesus is reigning, since the time of judgment will come, can we trust Him to make the right judgment? Can we trust that Jesus is in charge, that He's reigning, and that no one is going to get away with it? Whatever your it is, no one's going to get away with it. You really can't log into the internet lately. You can't turn on your computer and look at the internet without reading somebody reminding you that Epstein did not kill himself. Have you seen that? Once or twice? Epstein did not kill himself. And I think, well, well duh. I think we've figured that out. But, but in a world where justice is just about courts, you know, our, our world justice is just about what happens in the court. Our justice is just about whether a judge bangs the gavel and says guilty or not guilty. In our world where judgment is just about courts and opinions, there is this fear, what if it goes unpunished? What if someone gets off scot-free? What if they get away with it? That's the big fear, whatever the it is. What if it goes unanswered? What if it remains hidden? And Epstein is just the most visible example for us. But each one of us, each one of us, we, we've got our hurts. We've got the ways that we've been hurt. Someone did us wrong. It might even look like they got away with it. But do they get away with it? Did they get away with it? Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord. That's not just a battle cry. That's a matter of trust. Can we leave it to Him to take care of it? No matter what the hurt is inside us, no matter what the storm outside us is that someone else caused, can we do what Peter should have done? Can we just keep our eyes on Jesus? Can we, can we keep our eyes on Him and rise above the storm? And no matter who or what has hurt us, can we just realize that nothing escapes God's notice? and nothing will escape His judgment. And that same rain that brings judgment 
It also brings peace. And so you can trust a third, third promise. You have not escaped God's notice, nor will you escape His reward. Judgment is only half of what takes place in verse 18. The other, the other half is not judgment. The other half is reward. It's not just depart from Me, you who are cursed. It is also come and enter your rest. And <laughs> come and take your nap. And who receives that rest? It says in verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, for destroying the destroyers of the world. Who receives that reward? Prophets and saints. Well, is that us? Well, yeah, it might be. It seems like it should be. But then we read on and he says both small and great. And you and I can say, yeah, that's us. We, we definitely fit in with the small. I'm one of those small people. There's times I feel very small. There's times we feel very insignificant. And yet God includes us. He will reward us. He includes you. It's a promise that God... It's not only a promise that God made to you, it is a promise that 24 elders in God's presence considered worth singing about it's not a promise of an easy life it's not a promise of a perfect life it's not a promise that everything is always going to go your way you see god has a plan that's bigger than just your comfort today and in those times when it's hard to see past our pain you hear his promise you hear that there is a reward one of my favorite things that we did this year the Saturday before Easter this year, a bunch of us got together, not just from the church, but from the community. We got together and we read the book of Revelation. Normally, normally people don't do anything on the Saturday before Easter. We kind of take that as a day of rest. We, we kind of take the example of the disciples who on that Saturday, we, we, we understand that they remained hidden. They, they were in fear. And so we don't really do anything on the Saturday before, before Easter. But, but this year we got together and we read the book of Revelation because on this side of the resurrection, we know there's more to the story than just the cross. We got together, we read through Revelation. We read through it aloud. We read through it without commentary. We didn't comment on it. We didn't make uh, assumptions or presumptions about what the words meant. We just read it. We let the words hit us. We heard them. And we heard the victory. And earlier this week, I posted a picture of Paul and Joy standing together and reading with us from Revelation as we, as we read that final chapter out loud together. The angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And so Wednesday, when I got the message that Paul had passed, and I went down and spent time with Joy and Matt, I shared what I was going to share in Revelation chapter 11 with them. And the very first thing we prayed was like the, like the 24 elders in the throne room of God. We prayed and we said, thank God that's over. Thank God there's something else. We were able to do that because of Paul's faith. Because in Paul's eternity, there's something bigger than just a diagnosis of cancer. There's a river of the water of life. And Paul lived his life knowing that. And we 
read those words and we trusted that promise. <clears throat> and that's a promise for everybody. That's a promise for the big preachers. And that's a promise for little farmers in little towns. And it's a promise for you. You can give thanks today knowing that God reigns over your tomorrow. And in the very last verse of this chapter, John, John tells us something wonderful. That very last verse, verse 19, there is something wonderful there. And as I read verse 19, I can't help but think that John saw that same thing happen, but years earlier. He saw it years earlier, and he saw it from the cross. Verse 19 says, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. God's temple in heaven is very different than what His temple on earth was like. Because on earth, His temple, uh, there were walls after walls after walls to keep you out because you were not worthy of going any closer to God. There were walls after walls that hid His Ark of the Covenant behind. And then finally there was a curtain that is said to have been the thickness of a man's hand. That it was that thick to tell you that you don't have the right to look at that. You don't have the right to come closer to God. You don't have the right to see something that holy. And yet, in heaven, what's God's temple like? It's open. And the Ark of His Covenant is seen by everyone. You can't read those words without thinking back to Jesus, without thinking back to the crucifixion, without thinking back to, to what John saw that day, what he knew happened that day. Matthew records it. Matthew writes in chapter 27, verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus did that from top to bottom so that you and I would know that God does not hide from you. That God will not stay hidden from you. And in those times when you feel like your world is ending, when you feel like it's all crumbling, when it's all falling apart, God has opened the doors to His temple in heaven. He's opened it up and He said, here I am. I'm with you. And in knowing that, you can give thanks. In knowing that, you can give thanks even, even when your world ends. Because you can trust that the God who reigns today also reigns over your tomorrow. And He will right every wrong that has been forced on you. And no one is so small that they escape His reward. Let me stand and pray with you. Father, what the 24 elders in heaven began with, we, we close with. And we say thank You. And we say thank You for the promises that You've given us. We say thank You for the fact that You reign. We say thank You that, uh, that that's not just a promise for our future. It is a promise for today that Jesus reigns. And so Father, for every moment, for every incident, for every storm, for every time that we've felt small or wronged or put upon, remind us that You're there. Remind us that not only is judgment perfect, but so are rewards. And in all those times when we felt very alone, remind us that You've opened the door. You've opened the way. And that Jesus not only reigns as King, He reigns as our Savior. He reigns as our friend. Lord, don't let us mess out on that. 
but make it our business to make sure that no one else misses out on that good news, that Jesus reigns. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.